you would, 2 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 5. And when King David came to Behurim, behold, there came out thence out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. And he came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men which were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, thou bloody man, come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son, and behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai, the son of Zariah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. Uh, Brother Walton, would you, uh, would you mind praying and asking God to bless the preaching, please? Pastor Reagan, uh, just utterance and freedom to speak your word freely, God, and uh, just convey it to us in a way that we can understand it and we can be changed forever as a result. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now we're continuing through this storyline of David and his reign as king of Israel, and you're noticing that as you go through this thing, this story is absolutely littered with all kinds of problems. I mean, we've now come to a point in David's life where he's more than likely in his 60s or so. He's getting up there. He's been a great king. He's gotten through some really bad times. And now, literally, at this point in his life, he's being driven off his throne unrighteously so. He's driven off of his throne because some ambitious young man wanted what God had given to David. And David is here now again running for his life as though it was back in the days of Saul. It's like, I dealt with all this when I was younger. I passed all these tests already. I've been through this before. And now here I am again dealing with betrayal again in a completely unrighteous and unfair sense. That kid has no right to my throne. He's way out of line. He's way backslidden on God. He's a murderer. He's a manipulator. He's a liar. He's a vain little punk. And he's driven me off a throne that God Almighty gave me. What a mess, man. What blows my mind about David is that he is so real and yet such a wonderful man in the Bible. I I like the fact that God gives us all these stories and spells out the details because we can slow down and begin to dissect things and read things without reading into them. We can read things and we look at the reality of a man who is a man after God's own heart, God's number one pick in all of Israel to replace Saul. A man that God gives out of his dispensation, sure mercies, eternal security was given to David. That wasn't even happening in the Old Testament. He was a very unique and special man. God loved him and he loved God. You look at how much of that Bible you hold in your lap that you got from King David. That's a powerful thing. And yet look at how human he was. Look at his life and how difficult it was. He did not have an easy life. 
Here he is, a man after my own heart, God says. I mean, he's got promises that go out into the millennium specifically to him. He is a special and unique individual, and yet such an absolute train wreck. I mean, his kids, you know, I mean, he shouldn't be a pastor. If he couldn't have his house in order, what's he doing pastoring a church? His kids are a complete train wreck, and God says, that's my man right there. That's David. You know what I like about what I'm seeing as we go through this story? As David gets older and gets more experience, he learns how to handle the bad times in his life. I want to bring you a message from verse number 12. He says there in the verse that, let him curse, right? The Lord shall not requite me good. Something to that effect concerning his cursing, right? I want to talk to you about getting good out of bad. Because... Like I mentioned in my announcements, I'm sorry if I go too far the pendulum swing, you know, too far the negative direction. But the reality is in life, bad things happen. Okay? I mean, just because you get saved and just because you're serving God and just because, you know, you're trying to do right, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have some of the same problems everybody else around you has. Everybody's problems get boiled down into three different venues, three different areas of life. They're either financial physical, or family. You can look at all your problems and wind up boiling them down to one of those three areas. Listen, if you got financial problems, when we have the altar call, you should probably come forward and thank God. Those are the best of the problems to have. If you have health problems, well, to be honest with you, that's a whole lot better than having family problems. In all honesty, the worst problems to have, whether you got all the money in the world and all the health in the world, when the people that are the closest to you, the people that you love the most, the people that you've grown the most attached to, the people you have the most in common with, we're here this morning because we have some things in common. We always want to focus on our differences. We're always nitpicking at the differences, but we need to back off for a minute this morning and stop nitpicking at the differences. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? So do I. We got that in common. Do you believe the King James Bible is the Word of God? So do I. We got that in common. Do you believe in rightly dividing the Word of Truth? We got that in common. You see, there are some things in life that really matter. And there are other things that come in, and they're just problems. You understand? It, it, it's the curse of the world that you live in. It's the curse of sin. And those problems bring a lot of pressure in our lives, and they distract us from what actually matters. Listen, how you handle the bad will determine whether or not good comes from it. And let me tell you this. Only God, only God can take a curse and make it good. Only God has the power to turn a curse into a blessing. Let me give you the most basest of examples. Are you a sinner? Yes. Because of your sin, do you not deserve to burn in hell for eternity? Yes, sir. If you don't agree with that, we really got to go back to square one. <laughs> well, I'm a good person. Well, I don't, well, you don't understand what the Bible says about sin. And you don't understand what the holiness of God means if you think you're good enough to escape the damnation of hell. You ain't got it. Now, that's a pretty bad thing. You're sold under a what? A curse. It's the curse of sin. You're born naturally. You're born a sinner. Now, that's not a good thing. And there's literally nothing you can do about that. You have no power whatsoever to change that curse into a blessing. You're stuck under that curse. You're sold under sin. You're trapped under the law. And nobody can live up to the standards of the law. Because even if you never commit fornication, never commit adultery, Jesus said if you look on a woman and lust after her, you did it in your heart. Oops. You can't, you, you can't escape. Only God can take the curse of sin and turn it into a blessing. Let me ask you a question this morning. When I come and we sing, when we gather together and we sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Is that a blessing? Amen. 
You start singing songs about years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. I mean, isn't that a blessing? Only God can turn the curse into a blessing. Now, if God can do that with your eternal soul, he can take care of the details and problems of your life. The problem is the hardest problems are family problems. So your adversary, the devil, knows right where to get you to hurt you the most. To try to make sure that he can drive a wedge between you and God and begin to cause more problems. When you have things hit you and hurt you and cut you and wound you, when you have your own son Absalom trying to drive you off the throne, I can't think of anything that would hurt more than that. When you have somebody who you stand there before God and country, before God and the church, and you promise till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge thee my faithfulness. I mean, you're promising that person that you will always be faithful to that person and that person only, and then the individual that's the closest to you, that's the most intimate relationship you have in your life, where you vowed before God, goes ahead and betrays you. I can't think of anything that hurts much more. I can't think of a greater source of bitterness, a greater source of vengeance, a greater source of justified indignation, a greater source of frustration, a greater source of just, just pain that comes into a cancer in the soul than when somebody that loves you or that you love hurts you. Go to Psalm chapter number 55, please. Let me show you something. This series is meant to focus on things that hurt the church. For a Christian, you have an added layer, an added area in which the devil can come after you. And it's right in the place where God is supposed to be working and drawing you closer to him and closer to each other. And this is what the devil will do. Psalm 55, look at verse number 12, please. He said, for it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. You know what the psalmist David is saying here in this passage? He's saying, listen, I've had enemies come after me that tried to destroy me. I can handle that. I've had people that don't like me and that never did like me speak bad about me and curse me and throw stones at me and want to knife me in the back. I can, I can handle that. I like my enemies. You know why? I know exactly what to expect out of my enemies. That's fine. We know where we stand and I expect somebody that hates me to try to hurt me. You know what I can't take? No, really really hard to take is when somebody you thought was your friend, somebody you thought loved you, somebody where you did have that connection with them. I mean, it wasn't made up. You literally enjoyed fellowshipping together. You got together and had Bible studies. You prayed together. When you needed somebody to talk to, you called that person and you confided in them. And you pour your heart, your equals, your, your friends, you had sweet fellowship. And then that person backslides on God or betrays you and takes your personal information and uses your personal information against you to cut your throat. That is more than most people can handle. You know why it's extremely important in church that we don't backstab each other? It's extremely important in church that we aren't gossipers. It's extremely important in church that we aren't nitpicking at one another's faults and noticing all the bad and focusing on personality flaws and obsessing about what we don't like about somebody. It's extremely important in church because you'll just say something in a criticism, but the devil will take that thing back to that person. They didn't realize that you had such a low opinion of them, but now they know, and the devil uses that as an advantage to get them out of church and hurt them and tear up their life. And I will say this. There isn't a person in the room that's going to make it through life without eventually having somebody that you thought loved you hurt you.
And it is a dangerous place to be. Think about Joseph. Did God take a really, really bad thing and turn it into something good? You know what Joseph said to those boys when they finally came and kneeled to him? They misjudged him, man. God gave him a dream. He's all stirred up about what God showed him, and he ran testifying to his brothers of what God told him. And they're like, oh, yeah? Was, Joseph was 100% innocent in the right and the right spirit when he shared that dream with his brothers and with his father. There was nothing wrong with what Joseph did. But wait. He was innocent and in the right and had the truth. He was just really naive about people and life. He was blundering his way through with a pure heart before God and he didn't understand human nature. He lacked a little bit of wisdom because he hadn't lived long enough to have somebody slit his throat yet. And as he got older, that whole thing changed. You remember when those brothers came in? You remember the story, right? He said, it's my brothers. Hey guys, it's Joseph. Come give me a hug. That's not what happened, is it? He's putting them through the ringer. He's testing them out, checking them out, finding out about dad, gathering information. He got a little older. He got a little wiser. He got a little more careful about how he proceeded and behaved himself so that he could build that thing up the right way. Do you know David had done the right thing with Absalom? Well, I think David made a mistake. David was supposed to put him to death. But he didn't because it was his son and he probably had some of that stuff that you and I get like, yeah, when I was a kid, I used to do. So I'm not going to get on my kid when they're fornicating and doping and all the rest of that because you remember what I was and that's going to be so, God was merciful to me so I need to be merciful. God's the one that that passes out the mercy, not you. When you bust him and you're in a position where you're supposed to do something about it, you do something about it. You ask the police officer that pulls you over, have you ever sped? If a police officer stopped and said, I'm not going to write a ticket because I used to speed when I was a kid. I was stupid. Do you know how many people would be dead today that aren't? Because they pull them over. Why? Because they were speeding. Whether he got away with it himself. You understand what I'm trying to say? There's a balance on this stuff. David messed up on that. But then once the kid left, he should have left him left. Remember, Joab came in there and started sticking his nose into something that was none of his business and being fake spiritual and judging David and manipulating the situation to bring Absalom home, which put us in this position we're in now. But David, the way he's handled himself, he was keeping that boy at a distance. He had learned some things. If he's really gotten right with God and he's really changed, then he'll show the signs of it and he'll come back. And I guarantee you when he comes back, daddy's heart's going to melt, boy. He'd have found that old man that had such a hard line and wouldn't bend and wouldn't bow like the father when the prodigal came home. He never went chasing that boy, but he looked for him every single day. And when that boy made him move the father's direction, the father ran out there and met him and threw a hug around him and put a robe on him and a ring on him and shoes on his feet and brought him in and fed him. See, he'd done the right thing. But the problem is now, this boy done backstabbed him. David, David was too merciful to him. David was too kind to him. And now he's kicked him off his throne. You know what a bad thing that is? It can't get much worse. What I want to look at in this passage of Scripture is how do we handle the bad so that it turns out for our good? Now, David did some things in this passage that I think are absolutely right. Almost everything David did that was right. But the first thing I want to show you, I think he did wrong. Let me show you what happens when you're in a bad situation. And my first point is going to be this. When you're in a bad situation, you can't jump to conclusions about anything. Now, now watch the, watch, it's a practical piece of advice, but watch the practicality and where it comes from. Look at verses 1 through 4. When David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread and a hundred bunches of raisins and a hundred of summer fruits and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, The asses be for the king's household to ride on. 
and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as may be faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, Where is thy master's son? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abideth at Jerusalem. For he said, Today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertain to Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight. My lord, O king. You know what happens right there? David jumped to a conclusion he shouldn't have jumped to. You see, he's in a really bad spot. We've already made that point. Not only has his son run him off the throne, but most of the kingdom sided with his son. That was unjust and unfair in every way, shape, and form. And yet God still has a band of men, those men that have been with him from the beginning, a big number of guys that said, no, we're sticking with our king, we're sticking with David. So David's fleeing, he's getting out of town, and it says in verse number one, when he comes a little past the top of the hill, he's kind of heading downhill now, things are getting a little worse, this guy Ziba shows up. And Ziba was the servant of Mephibosheth. You remember the story, right? Mephibosheth was the crippled son of Jonathan. Well, here's another situation where as David is looking back over his life and he's seeing like, look, I'm a pretty good guy. He thinks like you and I think. He's human. There's Mephibosheth. I took him in because of my relationship with his father, Jonathan. I I loved him. I've been providing for this crippled young man, this this young man that the world wanted nothing to do. He was useless from the world's perspective. He couldn't do much. He couldn't reign. He He had nothing to offer David, but David said, I have compassion on him. I loved your dad, and I'm going to treat you good because of who your dad is. You know, I know how that feels. Years ago, Dr. Lynch told me, sitting in his office, looking across the desk at me, he said, I want to help you out. And he said, the reason I want to help you out is because it's my way of saying thank you to your dad for leading me to Christ. I was getting some kindness and some grace. I got a tremendous benefit, an awesome privilege in my opinion, because of somebody else. Isn't that cool? What a dirty, rotten, low-down scoundrel of a dog would I be if I went back and cut his throat because he set me up and tried to help me and was a blessing to me. And I don't follow a man. I'm my own man. Hogwash. And if you are your own man, we can tell. That's why nobody wants to follow you and nobody likes you. Nobody thinks as much of you as you think of yourself. That, I'm, I'm, that did not go over very big, I can tell, but I really don't care. The reality is, if you got some good stuff going for you, somebody taught you that. Don't be ashamed of where you come from. David did that for Mephibosheth on behalf of his father. And now he finds out while he's running, because he set Ziba up, a servant of Jonathan, to take care of Mephibosheth. So Ziba's got it pretty good. I mean, think about it. If you got this, like, in with the king, this guy is taken care of by the king himself. Mephibosheth's filthy rich. He's not the king. His daddy messed up by not following David and staying with grandpa. But God's been awful gracious to this crippled man. He had it good. To be the guy that gets to live under the good graces of the king because you're ministering to the crippled man? is not a bad spot to be in. Ziba made it into the word of God. He made it into the storyline of King David's throne. He's a name mentioned in the throne of David. He kind of rose to the top, shall you say, among all the common people in Israel. He became a who's who. That's a pretty, that's not too shabby. You understand what I mean? But this guy with his frustrated ambition, this guy with his desire to have more, shows up to David at this time, and what he does is in David's bad moment, he's confused, everything's a mess, it's all coming apart, we don't know how it's going to turn out, we don't, he doesn't even know if God's going to bring him back and put him on the throne or not, David is a wreck! Now he's older, he doesn't seem in his mind or in his mentality to be falling apart, but his whole life, is falling apart. Personally, how I see David as I read the text at this point, I think he's like shrugging his shoulders and letting it roll off himself and he's one day at a time right now. That kind of is a good way to get when your world's coming apart is just 
just one step at a time, one day at a time. Don't make any decisions. Ziba comes up and says, I brought you all this stuff. And he says, where's Mephibosheth? He said, oh, Mephibosheth thinks he's getting your throne. David said, all right, everything that's his is now yours. See it in the text? David made a decision. You know what David finds out later? Ziba's a liar. Do you know what happens when your life starts falling apart and the curse comes and bad days happen? You start believing things that aren't true. I'm telling you right now. Let me show you how this manifests. Uh, not that I'm any kind of psychologist. I did just roll my eyes, just so you know. But how this manifests in the young child's mind in school. Some of you kids, you go to school and somebody makes a joke on you and a couple of people laugh. And you know what your brain tells you? Everybody hates me. Everybody thinks I'm a dork. Everybody's on their side and nobody likes me. That ain't true. I said it before and I'll say it again and I want you to get this in your head because this is not just elementary, junior high, and high school. This is lifelong The people that pick on other people, make fun of other people, put other people down for physical characteristics or whatever it is, are very insecure people. You can look at them and think, oh, they're so good looking and they're so popular and they're all the things that I'm not. But the truth is that individual only makes fun of everybody else because they are very insecure. Comfort yourself in that. And then if you've got to be a little bit human, I'm sorry, sometimes being a little human helps me. <sighs> Never mind. I can't say that. <laughs> Look at them! And stop thinking everybody's against you. Because the devil will tell you everybody's against you when you're down. You know what he's the master of? He's the master of waiting for you to get down and then having somebody you care about walk up and kick you while you're down. And it's one thing when the world tries to destroy you. Right? You heard him singing about it. Because it will. It is another thing when somebody at church does it. Or someone in your family does it. And if you jump to conclusions in bad times, you will start making your problems worse than what they are and the devil's getting advantage of you. God's got everything under control. You've got to take your life one day at a time and say, God, this is what I heard they said, but I don't know if that's true or not. So just help me to get through. Lord, I just need to get to the bottom of this hill. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get there. And we'll see what happens next. He jumped to conclusions. He made, a, he made a false judgment. Watch this. Keep your finger here in 2 Samuel. Go over to the book of Proverbs. Let me show you how it happens. You have to be careful, folks, when you're down. Look at Psalms, uh, Proverbs 17. Excuse me, Proverbs 17. I want you to look at verse 23. What will happen when it's all coming apart is, is the devil will push you to start jumping to conclusions that aren't real. He'll start trying to tell you, well, you're never going to be on the throne again. This is never going to work out. You're never going to be the same. Your life just got ruined. Some of you really need to hear that. That person you were in love with and you thought, we were going to get married. And they break your heart and you just want to go kill yourself. God's got somebody better for you. That's right. And he's got kids coming. And he got a long marriage. Some of you that think, I'm just going to die an old maid because you're 25 and you're not married yet. <laughs> just, just the del- when, when, when you're in those spots and that pressure and that emotion builds up, I'm not mocking it. When you're in that spot and that pressure and that emotion builds up, You'll start making decisions and the devil will start trying to get you to believe things are real that aren't real. you got to get to the bottom of the hill. you got to wait and see what God's going to do. Proverbs 17, 23, A wicked man taketh a gift out of the bosom to pervert the ways of judgment. You see it? 
In other words, what a wicked man does, a wicked man like Ziba, you can go back to 2 Samuel, a wicked man like Ziba, what he does is he sees King David in this spot. He sees how bad off he is. He recognizes the whole situation. He sees the cripple can't follow him. So he comes up and he's like, hey man, hey brother, just the Lord wanted me to give this to you. Here you go, just take it. Just take it. You're like, hey, would you mind talking to so-and-so about, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. When you're down, when you're in a bad spot, not only will a wicked man lie to you and life lie to you and your own mind will lie to you and your own perception of reality will lie to you, but on top of that then, the wicked people will see your, your bad spot and they'll start trying to manipulate you and they'll do it by pretending they're your friend. They'll come up and they'll align themselves with you. Because Ziba, Ziba must have had more sense than most people in the kingdom at that point. I'll, I'll give him that. He couldn't have got that close to David and been that in tight with Jonathan and all the rest of that without having picked up on some good things. A preacher explained it to me one time like this. He said, don't take it so harsh when people leave your church. He says, some people come because of the light, right? Well, if you ever notice at nighttime, especially in the summer, not so much up north, there is benefits to the winter, by the way living up north. When you turn on the light in the summer, what happens? At, at night, the bugs come, right? <laughs> They're attracted to the light. Well, you, you, in a church like this, the light's pretty bright, and it's not because of the pastor, it's because the Bible's preached. So it just, it really kind of like digs way down deep, Hebrews chapter 4. And it starts piercing apart your life and circumstances of your life and relationships with people and your relationship with God and your motives and your thoughts and the details. And it's like, that, that folks, that is like one of the ways people know the Bible is real is coming and sitting in a church like this where the Bible's preached. And you're like, how in the world could that guy possibly know that much? How could that have lined up this week with that message? He's just going through his, does he have a surveillance camera on me or something? This guy, like ultimately the most bored person in the world. He's just like somehow connected with the FBI and the CIA and they're watching us, you know. It's God. It's, it's a bright light. And he said what will happen is when they come to the light, they'll get some light and then they leave. Sometimes it's too much light for them. It's a choice. I, they don't want to deal with it. Or the devil gets in there and somebody offended them and somebody hurt them and they're going through a bad time in their life. They're already down, and the circumstances work out, and their mind starts messing with them. And since they're in a bad spot in their life, somebody hurts them when they go to church. They're not getting what they wanted out of church. It's not what I expected. They're not nice enough. I don't have enough friends. I'm, they're not friendly enough, whatever it is. And they leave. He said, don't worry about it. He said, what happens is they leave, but what they do without even knowing they're doing it is they take some of that light with them out into a dark world. And with time, since they're not getting back to the light, the light fizzles out. But for a little while, they take that light with them. Here's the point I'm making. You can't be around people that love God and love the Bible and know the Bible and preach the Bible without having some of it rub off on you. Right. Zebla must have had some of it rub off on him because he obviously knew something a lot of people did not realize. David's going to be back on that throne. So he went over and he aligned himself with David. He brought him a big gift. And he presented himself to be a friend and a supporter in your exile. And I'm here for you. And, and oh, here's, look at all that I'm doing for you, David, in your trouble. But it was a manipulation. He wasn't a real friend. He wanted to get the money. He wanted to get the property. He wanted to get the land away from Mephibosheth and for himself. Point? My point is David should not have made a judgment call when his life was a wreck because he couldn't see clearly enough to make a good call. When I worked in sales before I went full-time at the church, my base salary was $22,000. I had a wife and I think I had two kids at the time. Two, maybe, maybe the third had just come along. We just go by numbers. I don't call them by their names. <laughs> and 22000 even back then was not enough. 
there was a tremendous amount of pressure on me to sell, to survive. And I was not good at it. My first two years were horrible. And then I began to realize once the ball started rolling how cyclical it is. It's very cyclical. You know, you get super busy. You've you, you, you got all these customers to take care of and you're closing deals and you're writing contracts and you're negotiating and you're doing all the stuff you've got to do and that eats up all your time. But while you're doing all that, you're not out selling. So then you make the money and then, then it dies. <laughs> and then it's panic, time to go sell again. And then you've got to start beating the bushes. And, you're, and, and that whole, you know what I learned? I learned this. And I told myself, I made myself a promise. Headhunters would call all the time, especially as the years, you know, the last couple of years it got better, but headhunters would call all the time. I said this, I'm never going to take another job when I'm on the bottom. I'm just, I don't, not saying you should do that. I don't even necessarily think in that context it's necessarily right. But it's a really good point because I learned from life. I'm not making a very good decision when I'm all stressed and freaked out and panicking. I might jump out of the frying pan into the fire. Don't make a judgment call when your life's a wreck. David did. He wound up having to walk this back later, which we'll see. Number two, when everything's going bad, when you're under a curse, you can't take matters into your own hands. Watch it. In verses 5 through 14 that we already read, this idiot Shimei comes out and begins cursing David. Look at him in verse number 7. He says, come out, come out, thou bloody man and thou man of Belial. He's calling him a man of the devil, a Baal worshiper. We'll talk about that tonight. That's what he's calling him. He's saying, you're a man of Belial. You're a bloody man. You're a murderer. Look at verse 8. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, thy son. You see the voice inflections? I'm doing it on purpose. He's making a horrible insult to him, telling him that he was a bloody man for doing what to Saul? What did he do to Saul? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, he cut off the skirt of his robe. Big deal, man. And he got under conviction about that. I shouldn't have done that to his robe. Like, are you kidding me? You're hanging out with a bunch of gangsters. Those guys that came to him were gangsters. You do understand that, right? They were in debt, distressed, and discontented. They were run out of the kingdom. They were criminals coming to David. They had nowhere to go but David in the cave. He's hanging out with gangsters that he turned into godly soldiers. And he's feeling convicted out of... Cutting the robe of his enemy? Right. You, you understand the kickback he had to get from his guys? Whether they said anything out of respect for him, they might not have said anything, or fear of him, one of the two. They might not have said anything, but I will guarantee you they're like, he, he's feeling it. You understand what I'm saying? You're going to lead us into battle. You're the guy we're going to go gut people with you. <laughs> we're going to be putting spears through people's chests and out their back with you. And you feel bad because you cut off the hem of his skirt. Whatever, man. That's how sensitive his conscience was. He never lifted a finger against Saul. And this wicked man is accusing him of God judging him for the way he treated Saul. Now, to make it worse, he's rubbing in his face the fact that his son's a nut. I've seen that in church. Uh, Let me tell you something. I think it's as wicked as hell. You know, one parent saying in front of another parent whose kids went wayward and all their kids are perfect little angels, you know, little godly. All our kids turned out for the Lord. I mean, you know, just glory to God. You're rubbing it in. You pointing out that they're a failure as a parent because their kids... May, if your kids turn out for God... I, I, listen, hear this out. If your kids turn out for God, they made the decision. Now, I'm not taking away from you the value and importance and responsibility of good parenting. I mean, and it ain't easy. 
It is a literally a full-time job, and you have to watch yourself. You have to pray. You have to watch your family. you got to be all over it. It's a full-time job. I'm not taking away the value of that. But I think it takes away the value of an adult making their own decision when you act like your kids turned out good because you're such a great stinking parent. Nobody's that impressed with your parenting. Oh, you're just the perfect parents. Whatever, man. If your kids wanted to focus on your faults, they'd be drunken heroin addicts. Here he is, he's rubbing it in David's face that his son's an idiot. It ain't even David's fault. It's Absalom's fault. A man after God's own heart, sure he had some mistakes. Of course he messed up. Sure, that had an impact on his family. But it doesn't mean that David always forever has to live under this burden of all my mistakes my kids capitalized on and took advantage of and focused on because they're wicked little devils. That's, I know that you're having a hard, some of you are like, wait a second, whoa. If they focus on your failure, this isn't an excuse to fail. This is after the fact. You've gotten right with God. I'm not giving you an excuse to keep being a moron. I'm saying that if that's what they want to focus on, it's because they chose that because they're looking for an excuse to do what they want to do. And Shimei comes up and he grabs that thorn that's in David's side and he says, Mm, how's that feel? Now hang on a second. If you're David, and you got Abishai sitting there, and Abishai's like, hey David, let me take off his head. I will cut his head off and use his body as my lunch table. I do not care. Who does he think he is to curse my Lord the King? We know what kind of a man you are. We know what kind of a man you've become. We've stuck with you because of your character and your love for God. We're with you, David. And that little rotten rat has no business sticking their nose in where it don't belong. You know what David would have done? He'd have made a huge mistake in cutting off Shimei's head. And let me ask you, would you blame him if he did? You ever had your life falling apart and some shimmy eye comes along and starts casting stones at you when you're down? They pick up dust and throw it at you. Can I tell you one of the ways they do it is once you've turned your life around and you're now serving Jesus Christ, shimmy eye will walk up and remind you of what you used to be. They always want to dig up your past. 25 years ago does not define 45-year-old Mike Reagan. You understand that? For good or bad. I might have been just this little saint walking on water, memorizing scripture and winning all the souls in the world to Jesus Christ when I was 20. That means nothing about what I am at 45. And I might have been a complete total derelict sitting in a jail cell with, you know, marks all over my skin and all the rest of that stuff, that means nothing about what I am right now. My past haunts me. I got to pay for my past. Isn't David paying for his past? But it ain't defining who he is. Shimei, he'll make sure every problem you got in your life, you know is because you messed up. What a great way to encourage you to serve the Lord. I mean, when I read my Bible, I find that he says... As far as the east is from the west, so far as he cast your sins from you. That's right. And I read my Bible, I find that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. I mean, are you kidding me? When I read my Bible, I find out that I am standing in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, not my own. You see what matters? If you look down there in the passage, I'm not sure what the verse is. Where is it at? Uh, right before 12 or right after 12, maybe 13 or 14, something like that. Here's what David says to the guys that say, let me cut off his head. He says this to him. He says, my own son wants me dead. What can this Benjamite do to me? Now, here's the point I'm making with this. 
When you're in a bad spot, you can't rush to judgment, number one. Number two, you can't take matters into your own hands. When you're in a bad spot, what you have to do is you have to stop and ask yourself what really matters in life. What is really, truly important? Because when you're in a mess, we already talked about it, your emotions are everywhere, your mind's telling you things that aren't true, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I guess I'll go eat worms, right? That's what's going on in your head. So you have to say, you know what? I'm not going to cut off the head of Shimei, who's lying about me, who's throwing stones at me, who's trying to drag up what God's forgiven me for. I'm not going to settle that score. I'm not even going to worry about that person. I don't even care what Shimei says or does. I've got a real problem. My real problem is my son wants me dead. My real problem is that this throne is up, this, this kingdom is upside down and it's all an absolute mess and I'm being driven away from the place where I go to worship God. I'm separated from the ark. The real issue here is me and God and I'm not sure if God wants me back on the throne or if I've messed up. i got to settle some things. Hey, i got to find out where God's at in all this and I don't know yet. That's the real issue. What is God doing? And my son. I got a big problem. It's a huge problem. My son. It's a heartbreaking problem. Somebody I love. It's tearing my soul out. It's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my home. It's affecting everything in my life. It's a bad problem. But the bigger thing is, what's God doing? And my son. Not Shimei. It's called in business a smokescreen. Man, God put me in business because I needed it bad. I learned some things. I learned when somebody yells at you, you can't yell back at them. Really? You can't take matters into your own hands. When you're told you're forced to go sit in a cubicle for four hours, three days a week in the mornings. But it's... You just, it's, might as well put me in solitary confinement, okay? It's horrible. The phone weighs like 80 pounds. Uh, it's, oh, you know, it's, it's horrible. And then people hang up on you. You know what I did? I, I took matters into I, I called them back. I said, is that how you want to represent your company? You hang up on people? I hung up on them. And I got called into the manager's office and he says, Mike, you can't do that. I I just did. (laughs) You can't take matters into your own hands. I learned in sales, sometimes you got to let them yell at you and you can't yell back. I, I learned in sales that a lot of times when they give objections, they're not really objections. You think they're objections. They're actually a smokescreen. You know what you do when somebody gives you a smokescreen? Ignore it. You ignore it. I've had them come into my office. Here's the deal. Why isn't there a cross up in this church? You know what the Holy Spirit said? Smokescreen. You know what I did? Ignore it. Let's deal with the real problem. You know what Jesus did? Nicodemus? He, he threw up a smoke screen. We know how to teach you come from God. No man can do the miracles that thou do, except God be with him. All that spiritual talk. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He ignored the smoke screen. He went right to the real issue. You know what you've got to learn to do in your life? Ignore the smoke screens that come up when everything's falling apart because they're tricks of the devil to get you to mess up. You will take matters into your own hands because you're so frustrated with the real problem that Shimei starts talking about you. They start making YouTube videos about you and Facebook posts and Instagram posts and Twitter videos or whatever that stuff is or, 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 or TikTok or whatever. whatever. I don't care. It's all a smokescreen. It's not the real problem. I don't want them to ruin my testimony. 
You just live right and let God handle your testimony. Ignore them. They ain't worth it. Isn't there something more important going on? David was able to focus on what really matters. And he said, you sons of Zerah, you boys are too hard for me. I'm sick of you guys shedding blood God don't want us shedding. You fellas need to figure out what the real issues are, what the real problems are, and focus in on what matters. If you're a real soldier, you're not going to cut off the head of a four-year-old. He's a cussing four-year-old. Ignore him. You got more going for you than that. You got God to worry about and what God wants out of your life. That's more important. Don't take matters into your own hands. But last point, we're almost done. When it's all falling apart, when the curses come, if you want good to come out of it, don't forget God. Now watch this in the passage. You cannot forget God. In verse 12, David says, It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. He says, wait a second, this is bad. It's all messed up. But, but there is a God in heaven that sees everything. There is a God in heaven that knows he's lying about me. There is a God in heaven that knows I just messed it up with Ziba even though I don't know it yet and is going to give me a chance to fix it later. He, he's God. And, and, and I kind of know some stuff that not everybody else knows. I know, guys, I know you're my friends. I, I know, sons of Zariah, I realize that you guys love me. I realize you guys really want to take care of me. I realize you've got advice for me, friends. I realize that you see my plight, and you're on my side, and you're encouraging me to do something about my problem, but there's some things I know that I have not given out. And they're between me and God, and I'm not telling you, because I have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's showing me some things and I need to slow down in my problem and see if he can bring some good out of this. And look at what David knows that they might not all be noticing. In verse number five, David came where? Where's he at? Bahurim, right? And Shimei shows up cussing him. Wait a minute. He's a Benjamite in Bahurim. Do you remember where Michael, David's wife, was? When David went and said, go get my wife and bring her back to me, and her husband follows her crying, they were in Bahurim. According to the Old Testament, when she leaves and becomes another man's, you can't take her back. David violated the Old Testament law in the very spot Shimei came out cursing him. Talking about there's a God in heaven. You can't forget God. Watch. That's not all. As if that's not bad enough, look at verse number five. Come out, he says, comes out, uh, he's, uh, the, I'm sorry, not verse number five, verse number seven. Shimei, as he cursed, said, come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou man of Belial. And then in verse number eight, he says, you're guilty of the house of the blood of Saul. Well, David wasn't guilty of the house of the blood of Saul, was he? Makes you mad when somebody falsely accuses you, doesn't it? Yeah, but are you guilty of the blood of Uriah? Didn't God tell him when he wanted to go build the temple, you can't, you're a bloody man? So Shimei's false accusations have a little bit of truth to them, don't they? Oops. (laughs) I mean, in your problems, you can't forget God. You can't forget God sees it all. God knows it all. God said, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And you're saying, well, 20 years has passed. I completely forgot about what I did. And this situation's not fair to me. And God's saying, I told you you'd reap it. You put the seeds in the ground. They just took a while to sprout. And you don't recognize it because the faces and names and situations have all changed. So you've got this detached thing from the situation, but God didn't forget Not only that, but look down at verse number 15. Absalom and all the people and the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel was with him. Ahithophel goes with with Absalom. Now watch this and look at how dangerous this is. Verse 21, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines which he hath left to keep the house. 
And all Israel shall hear that thou art a whore of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the roof of the house. And Absalom went in of his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And the counsel of Ahithophel, here watch this now, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel both with David and with Absalom. Wait, what? Ahithophel has betrayed David and gone to Absalom. That's heartbreaking, ain't it? You know who Ahithophel is? Ahithophel's Bathsheba's grandpa. He saw his grandson die. His son-in-law die under the judgment of God because of what David did. Oh, wait a second. Maybe what I did influenced Ahithophel's move. Maybe I shouldn't be so quick to judge him. Now, here's the difference. Don't forget God, right? David is recognizing his guilt. I'm sure of it. David has changed so much now that all this time has passed. And he's looking at his problems differently than he ever used to look at them. And he's grown in his relationship with God so much. He's got a humility about him and a gentleness about him and a discernment about him. He's not afraid to fight. He just has figured out when to fight and when not to. And how to minimize the collateral damage. And he recognizes, I'm to blame. Now watch it. David's made mistakes, right? Here's Ahithophel in the middle of this whole situation, giving counsel as though somebody was talking to God. And he counsels Absalom to take his father's concubines in the sight of the son and to defile them so that the whole kingdom will know the relationship is so broken between David and Absalom that there's no mending it so we can just side with Absalom because David's got the smaller number. Absalom's done it for good now. His advice from God. Do this. Well, do you remember what God said? David, you did what you did in secret. I got thinking about this, and where, where in the Bible do you see that all of Israel knew that he killed Uriah? Where do you see in the Bible that all of Israel knew he took Bathsheba? He brushed all that stuff under the carpet. God said, you did it in secret. I'm doing it in the eyes of the sun. Ahithophel was giving counsel as though it was perfect counsel. Wow, man, he's so wise. And his heart was far from God. You better be careful who you get your counsel from. Because just because they sound spiritual and they sound, don't make them right. David, we can all throw rocks at David. He made some huge mistakes. But you know what the difference between David and Ahithophel was? David's heart was full of God. So now that he's in a really bad spot and it's all falling apart and he's getting cursed and his kingdom's getting taken from him, he knows that he can step back and give it to God and wait on God and calm down in the situation and draw close to God and let God work it out for him. And guess what? God does. Look at this in closing. I want you to see this in verse number 14. I'm sorry, nope, it's verse number... Oh, I'm in chapter 17, that's why. It is verse number uh, 14. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. You know what's interesting about that? The chapter, the verse before that, uh, 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 Shimei is still cursing and throwing stones. And it looks like David, in the middle of his problem, says, hey, fellas, just ignore him. It's a smokescreen. Come on, guys. There's a river here. Hey, man, they're chasing us. They're going to kill us. Yeah, come on. Don't you know what they're going to do? They're going to slaughter us, man. They're coming. They're serious. All right, boys, just breathe a second. You guys got to sit down. We're tired. You got to keep going. We got to keep pushing. Listen, if we keep pushing, we're going to run out of energy, and we're going to crack, and we're going to be laying there exhausted while they come slaughter us. Sit down a minute. Get by that cool spring of water. 
under that shade tree. Trust in God for a second and let's refresh ourselves. Yeah, but our problem's not gone. I know God's not gone either. Sit down and shut up before I become your problem. You need to relax for a minute. You need to refresh yourself. You need to let God work this out. Because only he can turn a curse into a blessing. You see it boils down to? It boils down to you and God. If you don't draw closer to God in your problem, your curse is going to stay a curse. But if you get close to God, your curse can become a blessing. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.